Well, I step in this morning a little bit with trepidation because we're just going to take a morning to focus on the cross. We're just going to set our gaze on it, and it's going to um, take us several places as we do that. It's Candidly, when you talk about the cross, it's going to, uh, uh, part of the journey is going uh, into, if you will, the winter. That uh, I don't know if you, have you ever uh, gone out into really, really, really cold weather, and you're trying to maybe accomplish something or stack wood or something like that, uh, and then you come back into the house and there's a roaring fire or something, and, it, and you feel the warmth of it. You feel how amazing that is, but you don't know how amazing the roar of the fire is until you've been out in the cold. That's a little bit of what we're going to do. So we're going to dive into uh, some winter here for just a moment so that you and I can come into uh, the warmth of what was accomplished uh, on the cross that we can begin to understand it. Because it's very easy to think about it um, in terms of some event that happened long ago and not feel the full weight of what was actually accomplished there and to not have a full understanding even, that to even understand why the cross happened, why Jesus Christ had to go to the cross calls us to actually begin to understand the severity of sin, the weight of what sin actually is, and yet in our finiteness, it's hard to fully grasp and hard to fully understand this concept called sin. Um, I remember uh, I was about, I think, four or five years old, and mom took us to uh, McDonald's uh, because we were thrilled uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt. We were thrilled uh, to get a, a Happy Meal. And of course, we get the Happy Meal, and uh, thanks for the burger and the fries, but what we were really excited about was the toy, absolutely. You kids are with me. And so, um, got the toy, and I remember, I, I, this was one of my earliest memories, but I remember it just being like a container of just like an, a little box that you could put stuff in, or at least it, that's what it was. I'm not sure what it was, but all I remember is you could put stuff in it. So I, just immediately, my kid mind is going like, what could I put in this box, and it just, it, it dawns on me. I want to put my hair in this box. That's what I want to put in here. And so I just go find scissors and just, um, just the most accessible hairs right here. So I just go to town on my hair, and I'm just shoving it in this box, and it's it's given me life. I'm going to be honest with you. I remember it. It was awesome. And then I remember thinking, what else could I put in this box? And then uh, my two-year-old brother ran by, and I thought, I'll put his hair in this box. So I, got, I sat him down, and I just, just began cutting, uh, not realizing that um, pictures for the church directory were that week. And so uh, to this day, you can go to my house and there's a picture of me and my brother with just massive foreheads, no bangs, you know, gangly teeth. It was, it, that existed. I had no idea how, uh, and I, I was a little bit in trouble, um, and could, but couldn't grasp at the moment how maybe bad a decision that was, okay? This is, if you'll follow me, this is what it means to not fully understand the magnitude of the cross, starting with 
missing and not fully understanding the severity of sin. I think uh, I probably knew it wasn't okay to cut my hair, but it seemed fun at the time. And uh, the, but not thinking through the full implications, not really knowing as a child, being able to construe exactly how bad a decision that was. In our finiteness, I don't know that we could fully see the extent of sin in our lives. We have to make sense of something. We want to be able to make sense and try to understand it, but sometimes uh, we fall short. We don't know the cost of what it means in our lives. We can't perceive the full measure of what we've actually done. We can't see it. There are times, I'll just be honest, our sin doesn't seem that big a deal. And yet when we get down to it, what sin actually is, is the expression of the heart that says, God's not enough. Doesn't matter whether they're small or big sins. We know what the big ones are. We can even point to people throughout history and go, man, your sin was so bad. But the reality is, is every sin, small or great, is the expression of the heart that says, God, you're not enough. And I've got to go find more. Uh, I love the quote from Dr. John Piper. He says this. He says, sin is what we do when our hearts are not satisfied with God. No one sins out of duty. We sin because it holds out some promise of happiness. That promise enslaves us until we believe that God is more to be desired than life itself. That is the journey that we are on. That could sum up the journey that we are on. The pull of the flesh, the heart towards sin. To say that I want to go my own way to believe that there's some life in something else besides God going our own way. And the egregiousness of that sentiment often is lost in a world that is constantly saying, have your own way, right? You've got the, the jingles in your head from BK, have it your way, right? You just can't get away from it. Sorry, have y'all seen that commercial? Did I, was that awkward? Sorry. Right? I think as Burger King, thank you for letting us have it our own way. And I'm okay with like, if you want mustard or pickles, but let's just be honest. When we go our own way, it, it leads to death. And the father knows that. And it's egregious. And we've transgressed the beauty and the purity and the holiness. They're violated by sin. The Bible would put it this way. You're there in Romans chapter three. You can look at Verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the magnitude, like a three-year-old cutting his own hair and no idea of what he's doing or the three-year-old that scrapes the brand new car, doesn't understand, can't fully comprehend how far short we've fallen. If you flip over a couple of chapters to Romans chapter six, it says the weight of this sin is so serious. It says the wages of sin, six, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Certainly a physical death, but there's actually a spiritual death that begins to take place. This separation from the goodness, from the rest, from the 
beauty, the warmth of God. And so because of that, we owe this price. We're culpable for this responsible, for this spiritual death that has taken place in us because of sin. And you might tend to think, Pastor, I don't know that I've done anything that bad. If I, What we tend to do, maybe even to let our, warm our hearts over, is we can point to some really bad people out there. We could all point to Hitler. He's the first one we go to. And so maybe it's not that bad. James chapter 2, God sums it up literally in one scripture for us just to give us an understanding or try to allow our finite minds to get uh, our understanding around it. James 2.10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. I don't know if you could just reach for the magnitude of that statement straight from the Spirit of God through the Scripture. You keep the whole thing but one miss and you've done it all. I've done it all. Guilty. Completely and utterly guilty. In some sense, there is no small or big sins. It's just guilt. In fact, we know the severity of it because it was one sin that set the entire course of humanity on the trajectory of sin. Starting with Adam and Eve. I don't think that we can fully in this life understand the egregiousness of sin, not because of how big or small the sins that we might wrestle with are, but because of the magnitude of the glory and the majesty of God and transgressing against it. One tiny sin puts us in this place of separation from God. And so God must be serious about sin or otherwise he's not God. He's either infinitely beautiful and worthy and holy and cannot be touched by, infringed by the fullness of sin, or he's not God, meaning he isn't worthy of our worship or our songs or our clapping or our hearts or our hunger. If there's any part of him that can have sin or stand in light of sin, he's no longer worthy of our hearts longing if he can take it at all. He has to be serious about sin or he becomes defiled. He becomes lesser and we're wasting our time on these gatherings if he isn't pristine, beautiful, and perfect. That is, if you will, the winter. It's what it means to just if we can, and it's not the most popular thing in the world to do, but to feel the weight of sin in some way and to understand it. Because you can't fully understand the crime and horribleness of the cross unless we understand the nature of our brokenness in sin apart from him. 
but we get to come out of the winter. We get to stand next to the warmth of the fire because there was one moment, one act, one move of God that takes the fullness of everything I just described and changes it into glory. There's one moment in all of history, all, all of history is actually colliding at this moment. All, everything past and everything forward, all centers on this one act, Jesus Christ crucified on a cross. It is, as we've said many times here, the collision of the beauty and the majesty and the perfection of God with the radical, indescribable, unfathomable love of God for us. It's the center point of all human history. We've been talking about it for the last 2,000 years, and we'll continue to talk about it. People will rage against it. People will celebrate it. But it stands as the definitive moment in all of human history. And wrapped up in it is the beauty and the majesty and the perfection of God against all unrighteousness colliding with the weight of the incomprehensible love of God. It is the revelation, hear this, it is the revelation of the full heart of the Father. It reveals to us, the cross of Christ reveals to us who God is. And to the degree that you and I have not fully understood the severity of sin, the cross tells us that you also have yet, here this morning, have yet to fully understand the radical, fiery love of God this morning. Sin is serious, but the love of God is seriouser, if I could use that word. We need to feel the weight. Every one of us broken and we all know it, just in desperate need. And we can't do anything about it. And our lives are on a course for total destruction, except the God of the universe has so radically, so infinitely loved you and me. He was willing to pay the price and he sent his one and only son so that we could be alive. If you go back to Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, but we're justified, verse 24, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. In other words, because of the radical holiness of God, he can't defile himself, colliding here with the mercy of God and love towards those made in his image. God put the power and the beauty and the majesty of his son forward as a sacrifice. The scripture here uses the word propitiation. 
just, it actually means sacrifice. And in fact, it's only used two times in the New Testament. The other time it's used in Hebrews, it's translated as the mercy seat. It's the place, the deep place where God's presence lingered in the temple. And it's at the mercy seat that we find redemption, hope, transformation, find purity and holiness to be received by faith so that we could be justified, meaning made right and made whole. Having all of what I just described, the weight of sin, all of that being thrown into the sea and being made brand new creations where you and I stand no longer under the weight of our sin, but we stand free as sons and daughters who have been redeemed by the power of the love of a father. That is the essence of the gospel. The blood of Jesus shed on the cross says that the effects of sin and death is real, but God's love is realer. He was going to the cross before time began. He was intended for this moment with the Romans. If you know anything about even the cross, the crucifix, the Persians were the ones who invented crucifixion. The Romans were the ones that perfected it. It was reserved for the worst of the worst of the criminals, those that were, had been in prison and what they did is they sought maximum shame by stripping men of all their clothing, naked in public, in full view, and nailed to a cross, spikes through hands and feet. Most of them did not die because of the wounds in their body, but because they could not breathe or hold themselves up. They would try to stand up and gasp for air, feeling the pain, and then drop back down, and they would begin to suffocate. It was the most excruciating way of dying. In fact, the Romans, literally because of the nature of how it was to die on a cross, devised a word in their own language to describe what took place at the crucifixion. The Latin word excruciare, the root word literally, where we get, by the way, excruciating from, literally means from the cross. It means like the pain of the crucifix. It is unparalleled in its cruelty, in its horrificness. And it was the purposeful place for God to shed his blood for us so that you and I today could stand in righteousness. So that you and I could come on Sunday and lift our hands and sing at the top of our lungs, not because you and I have done anything worthy, but because he is worthy. To purchase for us a brand new identity, the cross says, God is serious about you. 
He is serious about you. He's serious about me. My heart wants to get this more today. It's serious. It's powerful. If you've been in church for a long time, it's easy for it to kind of turn into a Sunday school lesson. And the point of this this morning is we're going through this series on things that are core to who we are as a people, who we are as a church, and where we're headed. This stands at the center, knowing and understanding the weight of this reality. To whatever degree you've experienced the love of God or the favor of God or the goodness of God, I am just here to tell you, you and I have not scratched the surface of how radical the love of God is. For him to send his son to be crucified for you and me says more about God's heart and his heart for us than anything else in the known universe. It is the defining moment of our lives. And some will reject it. Some will make fun of it. Some will say it's a fairy tale. But there are those that by faith will believe on it. And it is meant to be, hear this, more than a religious system. It is meant to change and transform the way we see life. It is meant to change and transform the ways that we do marriage. It is meant to change and transform how we interact with our children. It is meant to change and transform the reason we wake up at 8 o'clock on Monday morning and go to work. It's meant to move through us in every way, changing the way that we see life. You can't get your mind around this. If you've never seen this scripture before, I highly encourage you to let this be the first thing you memorize once we leave this place. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, God made Jesus for our sake, for our, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin. Who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of What is this? What is the power of this? Christ became my sin and your sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. I don't know that we could begin to comprehend that. I, I pray we'd wrestle with that more. be so, so guilty and to be made so pure. I pray we're undone again. <laughs> it's hard to comprehend. I remember just like it was hard to comprehend how foolish I was when I was four. I remember when, when we were teenagers. Um, and my brother and I were athletes. I'm clearly an athlete. Look at me. Um, 
But uh, I remember um, we ate nonstop at our house. I mean, we just ate everything in sight all the time. And then we had friends over and they ate nonstop all the time. And uh, we would hang out, we would do church stuff. And then after church, we'd come home and then we would just eat more. And then we'd invite more friends over and they would eat. And, our, and my parents were just amazing people. They had our, their, our home was open all the time. So just people were in and out. And then this happened like, through high school and then through college because just didn't want to leave the eating. So we just stayed in town. Some of you go away for college. I was just like, I'm staying here where the food is. And so um, we just, it was, it was awesome. It was great. My parents were just so open-handed and they just fed us and cared for us. It was just amazing. And then I grew up and got my own family and they started eating <laughs> all the time. Never stops. And I legit about like five years ago, I like called my parents and I'm like, you're incredible. I have no idea what we were doing to you. I have my, four of my own kids now. I, I understand now what you, how much you loved us. And it was amazing. The, the realization of how much we had been loved through things that we had no idea. We didn't know. We took for granted. It was so powerful. Hear this. God wants fresh revelation of what he thinks about you to wash over you. Just a new understanding, a fresh understanding. The truth is this, there's not really, you can do all the cool and fancy preaching in the world, but the reality is what you need to hear is the voice of the Father about how radically he is for you. And he proved it when he sent his son to be and to go through the most excruciating moment of the most horrendous and most beautiful thing the world has ever seen so that you would have full, unfettered access to the Father. He wants you to have, and me to have, fresh revelation of what it means to be loved. And so Jesus hung there on that cross and uttered the most, three most, maybe the most powerful words that are spoken in the scripture when he raises his voice to the Father and says, it is finished. It's finished. John chapter 19, verse 30. It is finished. He says it. the word tetelestai means paid in full. It's what the Greeks, the Greco-Roman world, when someone paid off a bill, they'd stamp it, tetelestai, finished, complete, done. Not hope you get there eventually. Not hope that this works out for you. But for all who would put their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus, you have been stamped. It is finished over your life. This is who you now are. And he accomplished beautiful and powerful things through it. So the question I will just finish with just the last few minutes. What did Jesus actually do for us through the cross? Well, it's innumerable, but I wanted to just take a moment to make sure that you and I have our head around this as we finish out this morning. Number one, you have the forgiveness of sins 
Forgiveness of sins. John 1, 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You and I stand right now for all that have called on the name of Jesus for life, have recognized the weight and the severity of sin. We've been forgiven, and we have not just one time been forgiven, but the Lord ready and continually willing to forgive us. We have freedom now from the bondage of sin. Come on. That's good news, to be free from the bondage of sin. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but who? Christ who lives in me. I want you to get that again. Read that again. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who what? who loved me and gave himself up for me. If you're wondering whether or not you can come, your life has been a mess and whether or not you can come back to the Lord. If you've ever had the thought, you don't know what I've done or you don't know how far I have fallen or you don't know how bad my life looks. Jesus's arms are open wide, ready to receive you again and to make you clean and whole. There is no one too far from the reach of the power of what Jesus did on the cross, period. It is the end of the story. However much toxic shame you may carry, it's ready, God is ready to restore you fully. On the cross, Jesus defeated your enemy. 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Many of you may feel harassed by the enemy constantly. And God is here to say you have victory over him. Guilt and condemnation are no more. Let me say that again. Guilt and condemnation are no more. There is therefore now No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is condemnation towards the world that turns its heart away from their own creator. And he is crying out, God willing, through his church to the broken world that they don't have to be condemned any longer. You and I have complete and full access to the Father. Complete and full access to the Father. And I'll finish with, you and I now have power. We have power. Power over the enemy. Revelation 12, 10. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. How many of you ever felt accused day and night? And they conquered the enemy 
by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved their lives even unto, loved not their lives even unto death. God does not intend for you and I to live lives where we just get by. He intends for us to live in the fullness of his power that he accomplished on the cross, period. That's where the Lord's taking us. And because of that, our value to God is secure. If you've ever wondered, what does God think about me? John 15 says, the greatest love that could ever be expressed is the one where someone lays down their life. Meaning, God expressed the greatest kind of love there is. Sacrificing his son for you. You guys stand with me. Just have these last few minutes. And if it's helpful for you, you close your eyes so you can just concentrate. And I want to invite you just to turn your heart to the Lord and ask him to refresh you in what he has done for you in Christ. We want to come to the Lord. Would you come to him? If it helps you to open your hands up, I want to encourage you to open your hands. But whatever posture is helpful for you. going to just finish this moment with a chance to worship, but I want to just invite you now, would you let the power of the cross just wash over you fresh right now? And as your hands are open, your heart is open, would you offer to the Lord the most broken part of the deepest place of hurt and wounding, your deepest failures, the ones that no one else knows about, the things that make you feel more toxic shame, would you just give it to him right now? Would you offer it to him? Every ounce of it, not, a, not just part of it, every ounce of it right now. We give you everything. Would you offer it to him? Would you release it to him? We give it to you. Our brokenness, our failure, our sin, our stain, our shame, our guilt, our condemnation. It is yours. We hand it to you now. And now we receive. Now ask him. Living God, pour out fresh fire and love over me. Let me walk in the fullness of what you accomplished on the cross. I am righteous. Would you just declare that? I am righteous. I am holy. I am pure. You've made me good. You've given me hope. I receive your life again. And we honor you with our lives. They are fully yours. And so we worship. We declare you've made us new creations. Behold, the old has gone and the new has come. 
God, would you let us live out of the fullness of our new life because of the cross?